Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. Good to be with you tonight. Thank you for the worship, Isaac. I love those songs. Um, and it's good to hear them again. Good to be reminded and good to sing some of the oldies. Amen. Uh, tonight we're going we're gonna to get right into the word. We're going to go into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, it's so good to be gathered with you uh, tonight as God's people, as God's family, as uh, chosen vessels that we all are created for God's purposes. Uh, each one of us here are created for God's purposes. God has chosen us, and uh, he's got a special plan for each of us. And tonight, we're going to continue on a thought I shared a couple of weeks ago, it was Sunday before last, on letting patience have her perfect work, and talking about endurance, because I, uh, I feel that we are in that slipstream of truth that the Holy Spirit is working, and he's speaking to us continually about that, continually on uh, developing patience and um, going into that a little bit further in 2 Corinthians 4 tonight. We're going to look at that. And I want to talk to you, last time we talked about really having, developing patience in your walk with God and developing uh, a, a real proper view of God's character. Our patience really being, as we wait on Him and trusting Him, knowing that He's good and looking to Him as our source, looking to Christ uh, and learning to develop patience no matter uh, what we feel, what we think, what we're going through. It's having patience and the ability to wait on God. And that's a very important part of our walk. Uh, but tonight I want to talk to you, probably one of the, another great area uh, where you're going to need patience. And I certainly need patience as a Christian and that's in the area of our heart uh, where we get impatient with ourselves. How many of you get impatient with yourself? Now, some of you don't. You might not, but I'd, I'd say the majority of people that have a heart for God, that want to walk with God, uh, you can get very impatient with your own personal performance, your personal growth, and your personal development. Um, you know, I remember as a young Christian being very impatient. You know, it was like it was it was like I grew up with older sisters. I had I was always surrounded by older people, and I remember being a young guy, uh, and I just remember wanting to grow up faster than I than that was than was humanly possible. I wanted to be a teenager, you know, when I was nine years old, eight years old, because I was surrounded by teenagers, and I just couldn't wait to become a teenager. And then when I was a teenager, I was watching my family go on and start their lives, and I just wanted to be out of the house. I wanted, I wanted to rush that stage of development. And, you know, in, in some ways as a Christian, that kind of carried on into my Christian walk. I was so impatient with myself. And I found myself getting frustrated 
and I found myself getting very disappointed uh, with myself at times. And, and it can be a very difficult thing to deal with, with personal disappointment. And so tonight, I want to key in on this real joy killer, this thing that can really take your peace, uh, this lack of patience with yourself and recognizing your own humanity. Uh, And, you know, it's important that we come to terms and come to get a a grip on uh, what can be crippling feelings of inadequacy that can cause our Christian journey to grind to a halt and put us into a place of navel-gazing and uh, regret and, and really getting focused on what we are not instead of what and who he is. Amen? So tonight I want to, to, to talk to you about that. And preparing for this message, I, I came across a testimony of someone that I love very dearly a very godly minister who had a great influence in my life. And he was sharing a testimony uh, along these lines uh, of how he was ministering in a foreign country and he was ministering to other pastors. And this other minister came to him and uh, was so bitterly disappointed in his own life, in his own walk with God. He, He couldn't understand how he had... Uh, read all these reports about this minister uh, that I'm sharing about, how, about how this godly pastor's life had been so incredible and so victorious. And, and it seemed to this hurting minister that this, this other minister was living in this great place of perpetual victory, that he was living in this spiritual, he had attained some sort of spiritual level. Uh, He had leveled up to kind of a a boss level in his faith. And he was living in this mountaintop experience, always on the mountain. And he couldn't understand why he would read his books and he he would be encouraged and he would read the testimonies about the ministry that he had founded and all the people's lives that were being touched. And he read books about what other people had written about his life. And this broken brother had come and was just really in a moment of just being raw and, and really being open with this other minister. And he was so broken and he felt so inferior and so weak in comparison to what he felt was uh, as he compared himself to a giant of the faith. And thankfully, this godly pastor and I knew him personally, spent the next hour, hour and a half, and he opened up about his own deep personal struggles. He shared with this other minister some of his private battles, and he shared with him, he gave him a a look in behind the curtain, as it were, to his life. And and, uh, he he began to share openly with this guy as he felt uh, the time and, and the leading of God's spirit to do so. And this broken brother that was so riddled with so much personal regret and disappointment, walked away and his burden was lifted. He had no idea that this godly minister who seemed to be so, so, such a man of faith, the reports of his life seemed to be that he just went from one victory to another and everything was good and everything was rosy in the garden. Um, he, he told this minister, as this minister was sharing, he said, I thought I was the only one. I, I thought my struggles were so deep and so bad until I heard yours. 
What I carry is nothing compared to the personal heartache you've been through. He went away so encouraged after this loving pastor just shared the human side of his life with him. And it lifted this brother and it brought him into, it brought him actually into a victory. It brought him into a place of embracing his humanity, embracing that side of his life that, that he felt so disappointed in. You see, books and testimonies in our modern church world don't ever give the whole picture. What you see on the internet, what you see projected, what you see presented, what you see out there as so polished and so perfect and so gifted and so talented, it does not portray and it does not accurately account for the whole picture of that person and what their life is like. And we have to be careful as ministers of the gospel that we are not preaching ourselves and projecting some air of strength that people feel that they are, uh, they are lagging behind, that they are not able to touch and taste and feel and, and, and feel the empathy from the pulpit and ministry. We have to be careful that we don't slip into that ourselves as ministers, that we are real. Like Jesus with Thomas, put, put your fingers here in my flesh. Unless you think I'm glorified and I'm not touched with pain and touched with disappointment, feel me. You hear me. You know what I've been through. And so, you know, we have to be careful at that, at, that we don't slip into that because it's so common. I never forget listening, being somewhere and listening to another minister that I greatly, uh, I personally greatly admire and, and love and, and still do very much. And he was telling all these wonderful things that God had done for him and how God had called him and the great victories and all the wonderful exploits. And I remember walking away and thinking to myself, my goodness, man, I am nowhere near that place in my faith with God. My faith is so small. I, I, I'm so disappointed in myself. I, I'm, when I compare, I should be so much further along with listening to his testimony. I must be doing something wrong because it seems like in my personal life, I go from battle to battle. I go from struggle to struggle. I go from valley to valley. I don't have this string of victories like this person does. But I was greatly encouraged as I just kind of processed that myself, in myself, and thinking that through, and, and kind of understanding what was happening. And, and as I began to speak to other people, I found out, you know, to other ministers, I wasn't the only one that walked away feeling that way. Almost every person I talked to had that same doubt, had that same condemnation rise up in them, that same feeling of inadequacy. You see, that minister had great intentions sharing all the victories and all the miracles, but that wasn't the whole picture. That was not the whole picture or, or even a, a, a portion of what his life had, had he been through in his life? There were great hurts. There were great weaknesses and behind-the-scenes stories that didn't put all of that glory and victory into context. 
And you see, brothers and sisters, it's our humanity that frames the glory. It's our humanity that frames out the excellency of the miracles and the, the glory that God does in our lives. And we have to be careful in such a polished world, in such a, you know, a social network world where everything is so polished that we give the whole story. That we understand that there's more to the story than this. How different would it have been had that minister come out and talked about it with a proper balance and talk about his struggles and the victories in spite of himself. Talk about his weaknesses and the strength of God. How much, how people, everyone in that auditorium would have been lifted, encouraged, glorifying Christ instead of feeling like someone had given them a stick to beat themselves up with or a measuring rod to measure themselves by. For some reason, we as humans are fascinated by the prospect of some form of spiritual perfection. I don't know what it is. We are, we are in the constant pursuit of the elusive, victorious life that removes the human element. It's almost like we want to graduate to glory, like I was sharing with you as a child. I want to graduate to this super level of spiritual victory where I'm not going to have to live by faith and dependency. I'm not going to have to be uh, dependent on God because of my own weaknesses. I'm just going to walk in this perpetual strength and glory in my life. And we want to remove that human element all the time. But how many of you know Paul is very clear in Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. But we, like sheep, flock to whatever appears to be strength and glory. We flock to that. We sign up to it. We think somebody's got a new revelation or a new teaching or some new fad in the church. We flock to success. We move towards that. We, we are enamored with that, and that is a downfall. That is part of what the Bible describes as our condition as being a sheep because we are led astray so easily when we are captivated by what appears to be strength and what appears to be glorious, and it's an age-old trap. This is nothing new. We are attracted to strength, and weakness repels us. We despise weakness. We despise the thought of being in a position that I'm going to have to admit that I need someone higher than myself to help me. We despise being dependent on someone that is stronger than us. We despise receiving a gift that we can't earn. It is part of our human nature, and it is something we have to contend to. But this is why I'm so thankful for the Bible. And this is why we've got to preach the Word of God. We can't go after what's flashy and what's popular and what's out there. We've got to stick to the Word of God because you know what? The Word of God never puts anyone on a pedestal, only the Son of God. The Word of God tells the whole story about our heroes. It doesn't varnish it. It doesn't whitewash it. And in the whole story, there is God's glory. In the whole story of human weakness, it frames how great God is. 
it frames how wonderful he is. When we see our darkness, we see the contrast to his light. When we see our weakness, we see the, the wonderful promise of his strength and power towards us. When we see our inadequacy, we see his adequacy. We see his abilities shine on the canvas of our weakness. And I'm so thankful that the Bible puts it all out there. I love it that the Bible doesn't hold anything back. And it's this weakness that frames our testimony. My testimony isn't that I have it all together. My testimony is I can't get it together. And I'm in constant need of one who can hold me together. That's my testimony. My testimony when I come into God's house isn't that I am strong in myself and I've achieved something and all my years of serving God, I've got some great wisdom and spiritual power that I've attained some level. No, I am coming in just as I did the first day I accepted him. All the more I realize in my journey how much more I need him. The folly of youth the mistakes that I've made thinking that I can do this in my own strength. I've learned my lessons and I've relegated my life now. I must depend upon God. I must depend on, upon him and cast my trust upon Christ, not on my ability. And it's that weakness that frames the great testimony of who Jesus is. It's our inability that sets up the contrast of God's greatness and God's ability. And you're never going to get away from it. That's wonderful. You're never going to be in a position where you are on equal footing with Christ. There's always going to be a contrast. There's always going to be that human level. And I'm finding more and more rest in this reality as I walk with God. That God has truly chosen. When he says this, it is not for a placard or a bumper sticker or a Facebook post or an Instagram story. This is not meme material. This is cold, hard truth that ought to comfort us. That it is God who truly chooses the weak. It is God who truly chooses the beggarly things of this world. That not many wise, not many noble, but he has chosen those things to confound the wisdom of this world. For the strength of God is stronger than the strength of men. And the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. God has chosen it this way. That he's chosen this pathway for us, this pathway of humanity, and this magnifies the good news in our lives. It, it elevates the, the gospel. We're preaching the gospel, good news, not bad news, not come to Jesus and do it the rest of the way for yourself and become some super whatever. The good news is resounding over and over in our lives. And God is not at all interested in our strength. He's not at all interested in our abilities. He, he doesn't need it. He's not interested in my prowess. The Bible is very clear that God won't share his glory with anyone. He wants his name to be at the top of the list. He wants his name to be the only name on the list. So that the glory goes to him. So the Holy Spirit is busy putting us in this school of Christ. 
and, and where we learn about our own limitations. If you're learning anything in this walk with God, you are learning about your own limitations. That is one of the things that you learn. How far you can go. How strong you can be. How faithful you can be. You're learning your limitations. And it's God who patiently teaches us to draw on the good news of his strength. And this brings us to this lesson, this story tonight, or this, what I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking here. And I've entitled this, it's a long title, but be, be patient with me, okay? The glory of God in jars of clay, patience for your own humanity. The glory of God in jars of clay. What a contrast. The eternal in the temporal. The strength inside that which can be broken. This is our, the description of our life, your life and my life. The glory of God in jars of clay. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 16 and we'll jump off from there. But we have this treasure in verse 7 in earthen vessels and in the Greek it is jars of clay that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in this body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus, underline that, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I've believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall rise up us also, by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace, everybody say abundant grace. God has abundant grace towards our humanity. Might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God for which cause we faint not but though our outward man perish yet the inward man is renewed day by day. These verses speak right into this issue that every generation of believers face. It is the root of self-exaltation, self-promotion, and the awful effects that come about when we venerate or begin to worship the talented, the strong, the smart, the eloquent, the gifted, the wise, the go-getter, the ultimate leader, the ultimate orator, the ultimate man, or the ultimate woman. You see, this church was being this Corinthian church, speaking into the context of the verse here, was being spiritually stunted because their view of spirituality was based on admiration for successful, for the successful, for the eloquent, for the powerful, for the beautiful, for the rich, for the shiny ones, the cream of the crop. And what they were doing was relegating those that struggled, those that were weak, those that were more human, more earthen, to second-class kingdom citizens. 
There was no place for the untalented, the unvarnished, the unpolished. There was no place for them there. And, and Paul deals with that when they came to the table of the Lord. He says, you're not discerning the body of the Lord. And he's not talking about the, the, the bread and the wine. He's talking about the body of Christ, the, that you are not discerning properly the body, that there aren't hierarchies of abilities and, and special places in God's body. There is one body. There's one people. And they're all earthen vessels. They're not some more privileged than others. There's not some greater than others. There's only one body. And my friends, you have not been discerning God's body. You're relegating some to lesser levels of importance. And Paul challenged them on it. And he said, for this reason, it's not talking about taking of it unworthy. He's talking about take, discerning and dividing the body. And putting people in there, it says, there many people weak and they're even dead. The judgment of God has come upon this. And folks, I want to tell you, you see it in church life. Anytime the church begins to elevate man, you see the judgment of God begins to move. You see the, the, God begins to move in those situations. And what they were doing was relegating those that struggled to second class kingdom citizens. There was a spiritual hero worship in Corinth. That's what was happening. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It tells all about it. It was dividing the body, Paul said. He says, I'm afraid of you. He called them babes. He called them carnal. He thought of every word to stir up their hearts, to cause them to, to, to go after what God's heart was. It was causing these Corinthians to remain spiritual babies Paul says this because they were being influenced so dynamically by Corinth's culture. Corinth's culture. And that was par for Corinth. Corinth celebrated the eloquent. They celebrated human strength. They celebrated the finest of art. They celebrated the finest of education, the finest of poetry, the finest of music. They celebrated all the fineries of human achievement. And that same mentality had gotten into God's house. And Paul is coming to confront this wolfish doctrine that sought to divide God's people. They loved all things beautiful, all things rich, all things gifted and talented, and they were drawn by personalities and what appeared to be strength, what appeared to be the most valuable. And this is why Paul had dropped down the list of the favorite preachers in Corinth, because Paul was not on board with that at all. And that's why he says, when I first came to you, I had carefully did not choose to use eloquence. I didn't step into that. I didn't come that way. I came in fear and trembling and sharing and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the power of God was resident in that. I didn't come to, to appeal to your Corinthian sensibilities. I came, if anything, to lay an ax to the root to show you that is not God's heart. God's heart is for everyone. All he had to offer the Corinthians was Christ and the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is this whole contention here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As he was being stood to the back of the line, 
At this point in the Corinthian history, Paul had labored, Paul had founded this church, and now they have relegated him to another place. To, a, to He's no longer important to them anymore because he didn't fit in with their paradigm. And so Paul is challenging this. Paul is challenging this, and he's trying to bring them back into balance because he knows that many people there are puffed up, many people are carnal, and many are discouraged because they feel they are second-rate kingdom citizens next to all the shiny ones. Imagine being poor in Corinth. Imagine being a former prostitute in Corinth. Imagine being someone who, who couldn't string two lines of verse together and didn't have the refineries that the, that the other refined Christians in Corinth had. How would you feel in a church service like that when you are made to sit at the back? When you aren't invited to potlucks and church fellowships because you don't have the credentials? And so this is what Paul is attacking. This is what he's coming after and trying to bring them back into balance. And this, is, this kind of division is exactly what a message of personal glory produces when it's not tempered with the grounding truth of the gospel. Carnality, hero worship, division, sensuality, and broken, broken people struggling with their own feelings of inadequacies. And folks, I want to tell you this. I truly believe that we are living in a Corinthian age. We are living in a Corinthian age where we are putting up everything that is so palatable, everything that is so pretty, everything that is so perfect, and we are displaying that to the world, and we are putting that into our church services. We are pumping that out at an alarming rate. And where does it leave those that aren't talented? Where does it leave those who are struggling? Where does it leave those who don't have the clothes or don't have the credentials or don't have that? Where does it leave those that their lives aren't really coming together like the others that, that, that are so educated and they come from a bad background? being made to feel they have nothing to offer anyone, despising their own humanity and their own weaknesses. And this is the trap that every affluent, gifted culture society faces wherever the gospel is preached. It is a first world problem. This mixture of self-importance and self-promotion and self-reliance gets rooted in people's hearts. And what happens is you wind up with a vapid, empty, powerless shallow, sensual people that are so focused on the wrong things. And I've seen it in church circles where, where there's money, where there's prominence, where there's hero worship, pride and arrogance begins to take root. And those cultures become very toxic. And as I said, we are living in a Corinthian moment. We are drawn to shiny personalities. We are drawn to gifts. And we are drawn to influence, and we don't focus on character. We don't focus on what God focuses on. And I'm not taking a stick out of the church. I'm talking about the culture. The worldly culture is influencing God's house. We've become, if we're not careful, we can become spiritual magpies, drawn to shiny things, to new things. And what this produces in our hearts, and this is what I want to get to, is this deep feeling of inadequacy because not everyone shines like the stars that are put before us. Not everybody shines like that. 
And it can sow into our hearts a deep impatience with our own struggles. And it can stir questions as to why we aren't a picture of success. So our gospel changes from grace for the weak and broken to one of empowerment and elevation for the talented and the gifted. And it leaves so many people struggling and afraid to say anything, thinking they are all alone. Well, you are not alone. I'm standing here as a minister, but I'm standing here as a man to tell you, you are not alone. We all struggle. We all are jars of clay. It's time to rip the veneer off and be honest. We all need the same grace that you need. We all need deliverance that you need. We all need empowerment like you need. This, this kind of attitude leaves so many people struggling. But Paul is clear in this passage that God's plan includes the weak, the talentless, the dull ones, the earthen ones. And listen to what he says in reference to Corinth's toxic culture of hero, hero worship. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we, this is in the NLT, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So many things can be said here. But this is a rebuke to all the self-seeking glory and the damning effect of hero worship. And this is like a wooden stake in the heart of a vampire. You ever watch those old vampire movies? You know, they all open the coffin and he's there sleeping in the day and they drive the stake through his chest. And this is what Paul is after. He is there to kill hero worship. He is there to draw the contrast. And when they read this, this would have sent shockwaves through this congregation. What do you mean it's not about the talented? What do you mean that these are, that God is just interested in normal people, everyday people? God's heart is for everyday people, not for those that just have it all going for them, but everyday people, the, the talentless, the, the, the tasteless. God's heart is for all men and all women. And these folks were so blinded and, and fooled into believing in their own abilities that this leaven had permeated their church, church culture. And Paul, with this explanation, is pouring contempt on everything Corinthian and not of Christ. Because God loved the Corinthians. He loved those that felt that way. But he was pouring contempt on that. He was pouring contempt on hero worship. And this was so cutting. And this was so undermining to that. But this was life to the weak. Imagine getting this letter and it being read out in the congregation. The breath of fresh air that would have brought to those who were struggling, those who felt like second-rate citizens who had grown impatient with their own selves, those that were being pushed out and relegated to economy class. Oh, you don't belong in business class. You don't belong in first class. You belong at the back of the plane. That's where you belong. Back there where you can barely move and you can't lean your seat back. That's where you belong. You don't belong up here with the rest of us. Imagine hearing this word. Imagine how it must have felt. And if you can hear what Paul is saying tonight as we draw this to a close, this will bolster your own heart. It, it will pour contempt on 
those things that are coming in to shape our own lives as Christians from our own culture around us that, that, that is causing us to lose our own focus, to causing us to lose the beauty of the gospel, that the gospel is for the broken. It, it's, it's for those. And, and it will help fuel patience for yourself that God has chosen to place his surpassing glory, his presence, his life, his spirit in plain Jane jars of clay. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? So I'm saying you have a chance. <laughs> I'm saying I have a chance. I'm saying I've got an, a door open to me that isn't predicated on my ability, but it's on God's excellency and on the goodness of God's heart. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. And this is God's plan. Let this give you patience for yourself. This is God's plan for you to be who you are and for him to meet you as he is in your life just as you are. That's the plan of God. Hallelujah. Not to turn you into some super soldier, but to meet you where you are and in your weakness find God's sufficiency and your inability to find his ability. You are part of his plan. Isn't that wonderful? You are part of his plan. I don't care what your struggle is. I don't care if you have identity issues. I don't care if you've got daddy issues, mama issues, childhood issues, where you came from, what's in your bank account or what's not in your bank account. It does not matter. This is the plan of God that the presence of God dwell in earthen jars of clay. You are part of his body. You, with all of your earthiness, all of your quirks, all of your inconsistencies, all of your weaknesses, all of your soul poverty, your few successfuls, your few successes, no claims to fame, all of your ups and all of your downs, you, my friend, are qualified by God. Hallelujah. In spite of your weakness, this is good news. This is hope for a dying world. This is hope for everyone. It's a gospel for everyone. And this is the good news to those who struggle against this massive tide of hero worship in modern day Christianity. We need to hear what Paul is saying. God has deposited his glory in our earthen vessels. Maybe we aren't Instagram material. Maybe we can't carry a note in a bucket. Maybe we aren't so amazingly talented. But we have the heart of God for people that no one else sees. No one else will have time for. No one else will value. My friend, if you have that, you've got more than anybody with any talent. More than anybody with any ability. If you have the heart of God for people around you, you are rich towards God. You have something in you that will make a difference in our world. And this knowledge gives you and me to be the ability to be patient with ourselves, that God is shaping us, that he has a plan, that he will fashion us into the shape that he wants us to be. 
So many of us are trying to conform ourselves into what we think spirituality is, what we think is success. And God says, I want you to take your hands off. I want you to trust me that I've got your best interest at stake and I'm going to shape you into what I want you to be. Christ only has earthen vessels to work with. There are no other kind. And the Holy Spirit wants to drive a stake tonight to that heart of hero worship and infuse us with patience to give you the ability to be patient with your earthliness, to be patient with your blemishes. And I'm not saying make excuses. There's a big difference. I'm talking about being patient with yourself, learning to see yourself the way God views you, and learning to experience him in your struggles and in your weakness. Because if you think you've got to attain something and then God will come to your rescue, you've got the gospel all backwards. You've got things flipped upside down. That is not the gospel at all. God's not waiting for you to get your act together for him to act. God comes on behalf of those who call on him out of weakness, out of their understanding of that. That is how God moves. And tonight he wants to give you that patience. He wants to remind you that you have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency may be of God and not of yourself. Isn't that good news? Now, no one should walk out of that door here tonight feeling like you have a stick to beat yourself with or a measuring tape to measure your life with. You should walk out of here in confidence saying, wow, God's chosen me? Me? I still can't get over that. Half the time I'm looking around wondering what I'm even doing in the ministry, thinking, God, and if I ever question your decision-making, this is one time I've done it. But I have to quell all of that. I've got to stop all of that, and I have to come and say, Lord, you make no mistakes. You choose the foolish, so I'm qualified. You choose the weak, so I qualify. Tonight, you are a jar of clay, earthen, but you are filled with God's spirit. You are filled with something from heaven. We have this treasure in all of our humanity, and he is content to dwell with us in spite of ourselves. Isn't that wonderful? Be patient with yourself. Some of the best advice I could give anyone tonight if you're new in your faith be patient with yourself. Learn to have the patience that God has with you for yourself. And as you do that, you'll find joy, you'll find peace, you'll find rest. And you'll, you'll start to realize it's not about where you are or where you aren't. It's about just being in relationship with him and learning to walk with him through life. Life is too short to be caught up in the wrong things. Let's stand tonight. Let's stand tonight. I'm just going to pray that each one of us would let patience have her perfect work in our humanity and that God would release us from false expectations about ourselves, the pressures of all of that. 
that we would find the ability to be patient with yourself. Be patient. Be patient. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight. We have this treasure. We have this strength and weakness. This glory in a place that's not very glorious. And it causes me to stand in wonder and in awe. And it causes me to love you even more. That you could journey with me. That you could walk with me. That you could live in me when I can't even feel I can live in myself. You are content to dwell. And Father, tonight I pray for those who are struggling with their own humanity, struggling with their own demons, as it were, not real demons, but our own problems. I pray, Father, that they would find a new perspective, that they would find you in that place, and they would look to you tonight for grace. They would look to you tonight for acceptance. They would look to you tonight for power from on high, and they would find you there, and in that place of weakness, there would be glory. There'd be a testimony of your strength. There'd be a testimony of your love. There'd be a testimony of your faithfulness, not our own, but your glory, your power, your patience, your love in those places, Lord. God, touch us tonight as we go out of here. Fill our hearts with your love and with your compassion and be with us, Lord, as we journey through this life let patience have her perfect work in us as we yield our lives up to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you tonight, Court Church. God bless you, those of you who are online. We have that treasure tonight, amen. Amen, God bless you. Praise the Lord. Good night. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.